wanting reality, wanting peace in my life. So I came here seeking the Lord. Fortunately, I didn't find peace in Communitas, but I found peace in Jesus Christ. So yes, praise the Lord. Well, yeah, tonight I'm just going to share something that's been deep on my heart for about the last two weeks or so. Um, There's a lot to cover, so we're obviously not going to get through it all, but just in relationship to that, how many of you like to go out to eat to a restaurant? Just raise your hands. Love it. Love going out to eat. How many of you go out to eat, you know, without looking at the menu first? Is that anything you do? Typically, you know what you're getting into, right? Well, tonight I'm giving you a menu. I'm not giving you the food. The food you have to go and digest yourself. You have to go eat it. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to go consume it. Let it digest. Let it marinate your soul. Let it cleanse you. So tonight we're just giving you the menu. So that's why for the last two months, the leadership here has been preparing you and telling you to go develop a relationship with Jesus. I mean that in all gentleness and all practicality. But if this is the primary place of your food, it's not going to sustain you. Yeah, go ahead. Honda Civic at the end of the driveway? (laughs) Is that one of the guys in the back with the food? Did you park your Honda Civic there? A Honda Civic, it's dark. There's a Honda Civic parked behind me, which is parking. It's parked behind a gray Saturn. And if nobody owns up to it, we're going to have it towed. That's great. Unless you're the one being blocked. You've got to move it. We're going to lift it. If you don't. If anyone owns a Honda Civic that they parked right at the end of the driveway, really, my announcement wasn't good enough. I, I don't know. I didn't hear it. Maybe it was really good. It was probably a great announcement, and I just wanted to add to it. So Honda Civic, if you just parked in the driveway just now, you would have had to come in after the food. Yeah, maybe. No, no, no. He's got a street level. All sorts of bumper stickers about Jesus. So we got it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Release the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the Honda Civic. (laughs) Amen. So, we're giving you a menu tonight. We don't uh, give you the food. That's Jesus' job. But as the preachers and teachers, we uh, prepare hearts. And we come with the Holy Spirit. So, So, God, I just ask you for that deeply tonight. Let that be... The prayer that gets answered tonight, Jesus, that you would release the spirit of wisdom in revelation and the knowledge of who you are. Release the beauty of Jesus here tonight. Jesus, you are so beautiful. You are so beautiful, God. Open up my eyes to the wondrous things of your law, God. The law that just reveals the heart of Jesus Christ to his people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So yeah, tonight I'm going to talk, um, the title of the message is called Faith, A Commitment to the First Commandment. So we're going to explain, like contextually, what faith is, and it's not the entire consummation of faith. This isn't the one and say all example of faith and definition of faith, but it is a, a biblical definition of it, and it's in the context of the First Commandment. So if you want, we're just going to start out. You can turn to your Bibles in John 3.15. And this will kind of be where we kick off 
and then um, progress from there, of course. So, say amen if you're there. Amen. amen. So Jesus here is speaking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is questioning who Jesus is. He's questioning, he's, his eyes are awakened, he's hungry, he's, you know, tasted a little bit, just a little bit that Jesus is, you know, something different. He's not just, you know, this normal prophet in the, you know, city of Judea, but he's done miracles, he's, you know, created a revival. So here Nicodemus invites him into his house, and Jesus is teaching Nicodemus, who wants, to, who wants reality, and he says to him that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And Jesus was, of course, talking about himself. So we're just going to focus briefly here on the word believe. That word, the most common definition, um, it, it's the same word where we get the word faith from, to have faith, to trust, to believe. Um, and ultimately, the Greek word for faith, the best definition for it is to believe. But if we focus on that a little bit deeper um, and break that down a little bit more, ultimately that word means um, to consider something worthy to be true and therefore worthy of one's trust. If you've ever been in your relationship, you know, with if you're married or in a serious relationship, you realize the importance of trust. So here we're talking about trusting Jesus in the context of relationship. And it means to be convinced of something, to entrust oneself to an entity in complete confidence. It also can be defined as reliability, fidelity, or commitment. That's the word that John uses there. John uses this word 96 times in his gospel. In 21 chapters, we see this word 96 times. It's almost four times a chapter. And then he uses it nine times in the book of 1 John. And John, coincidentally enough, was also the same apostle who says, who referred to himself in the third person throughout his gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So John had a fabulous understanding of what it meant to believe and trust his life to Jesus Christ. And he was also the one who realized and understood he was completely and unconditionally loved by this same man named Jesus. And so John explains to us that this word um, is all about commitment. It's all about commitment to a man, commitment to the example of life that he lived, and the just basic Christianity 101. So that's where we're going tonight, that our faith in our believing in him that gives us eternal life. It's ultimately Jesus' grace that gives us eternity, but we are called to have faith in it. And by grace, we are saved through faith. So there's a part in it. James, in his letter to, uh, to the believers, says that faith requires action. So tonight we're going to talk about faith being a genuine commitment to Jesus Christ. And not to confuse that, you know, we're the ones earning salvation. That That's not true. Please don't accept that as what I'm saying. I am saying, however, that we need to make a commitment to Jesus Christ in our lives. And it's through faith that this is done. Jesus says, or, um, yeah, Jesus says in John 15, 9, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. So it's through faith that we learn to abide in the love of Jesus. And it says, if, it says right after that, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus is the premier example of faith. John the Revelator also calls him the faithful witness in Revelation. We read that in the Revelation chapter 1. And his faith is most easily seen in his personal commitment 
and obedience and trust to his father. It says in John fifteen nineteen that the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the, va- the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. So Jesus has complete and 100% uncompromising obedience to his father. And he's committed to the father because he knows the father's beauty. He's lived with the father. He's uncreated. He and the Father are one, and they live in complete and utter communion together through covenant. So that's how our lives are supposed to be modeled. We are to live a life exactly the way Jesus did with his Father, in complete dependence on Jesus as our bridegroom, as our friend, as our king, as our judge. We cannot reconcile these truths. These, this, is the, this is Christianity 101, essentially. So when we realize that faith is a commitment to the man Jesus— and trust in his faithfulness and commitment to us as, his, as our bridegroom, that he'll never leave or forsake us. When we commit ourselves to that reality, it allows us to kind of move outside of the abstract confusions of what often gets defined as faith, you know, like believing in the unknown or just kind of like trying to grip your mind around some abstract concept that, you know, God is in the clouds and, you know, this weird un you know, recognizable being. It's just weird. Jesus is a man, and faith is commitment to the man. Amen. So, in the context of the first commandment, this, and this is kind of where we're going with this understanding of faith. So, we're in Matthew 12 here, and again, Jesus is preaching to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, who have ultimately built their identity around a set of, like, earning the rules. So as Jesus said this to Nicodemus in John 3, here again Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew 12, and they want to know, they're they're hungry, they want truth. They want to understand, how do I get to eternity? And I mean, ultimately that's the cry for all of our hearts. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, eternity was placed in our hearts. How do I get there? How does my life, you know, have meaning? So here Jesus answers the question that the scribe presents him, and says, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered him, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and all your strength. Pour it out, Jesus. I just ask you, God, that you would just release the grace to commit ourselves to this commandment, God. That we would be a people in a generation of the first commandment. Amen. So yeah, this is eternity. This is what life is all about. Commitment to this man with all of our hearts, all of our minds, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And I just want to break off the lie tonight that you can't do it. What Tom was talking about, getting up earlier, doing those things, it is a sacrifice. It does require commitment. It does require, you know, laying down our sleep habits and changing and reorganizing our sleep habits, but it's not insurmountable. Tom, me, the leadership you guys see here today, we are just like you. We're broken people. We're busted. We have wounds. We have histories of shame and rejection. But ultimately what separates us from the rest of this world is the reality that Jesus has set our hearts free. That is it. Jesus is the differentiator. Jesus is the common common denominator. And our commitment to this man makes our life greatly meaningful so amen just come holy spirit 
So our response to love is the most important thing to us. It says in Song of Songs chapter 1 that rightly do they love you, we will remember your love. On that day, my beloved, on the day of judgment, you will remember love more than anything else. You will remember his love to you and our love that we responded back to him. That is going to be the most forefronting idea in our minds on that day of of judgment, on that day of eternal damnation for those who did not love. The love of Jesus is the most important thing about us. So how we respond to Jesus Christ and who he is will determine our eternal destination. That is it. Our response to Jesus' love will define whether or not we go to heaven or hell. And there's a real heaven, and there's a real hell, and there's a real judge. And there's a real bride that he wants deeply to deeply commune with him. It says in John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer to his father, pleading for the sins of his people, he says, God, I desire that they would see me in my glory, which you gave me from the beginning of the earth. That is Jesus' prayer for your heart. So it's important that we recognize that because that will set our hearts and set our perspective and our compass in the right direction. So as we seek to commit to the first commandment, we, bu- we must begin to take our struggles to the cross. We must begin to plead the blood of Jesus over our lives and ask the Lord to give us faith and commitment to the first commandment and must seriously love Jesus with all our hearts. And when I say that, what that means is we give him our bitterness. We give him our anger. We give him our wounds. Some of our wounds are deep and they're real. I had deep wounds as a college student. Deep wounds. I had a father wound that was deep and that totally messed up my ability to love Jesus. I had deep anger. I punched holes in walls even after I was married because I'd get so angry and I couldn't understand it. But by realizing that Jesus' love and his commitment to me was more powerful than my anger, the Lord set me free from those things. And I want to encourage you, those are real. Those are real for the body of Christ today. And if we are to walk into the fullness of Isaiah 61, where it says, set the captives free, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim good news to the poor, etc., etc., the year the sovereign Lord is upon me, it requires that we commit to this first commandment in a deep and unrelenting way, fully abandon ourselves to this. So we love him with all our hearts. We give him our bitterness. We give him our anger. We give him our wounds. We love him with our soul, which I define simply as the faith, hope, and love of 1 Corinthians 13. That faith, hope, and love are the greatest in the world, greatest in the kingdom. So we pursue Jesus with all of these things that he put in our hearts. It says that he created us in his image. He gave us an ability to grasp faith, hope, and love. And so when we commit these characteristics of our soul to Jesus fully, we walk in covenant with this man, and he entrusts us with more. We must commit our mind to this man. We have to commit the lustful thoughts of our, emotion, the lustful thoughts of our minds, our envy, our greed, our jealousy, our comparative natures, even desires in the body of Christ that we sometimes want to see others fail so we get exalted, We have to lay that down. That cannot survive in the presence of a holy God. And we have to love this man with our strength. Simply strength I just define as the resources of this world. Our finances, our friendships, our relationships with our parents. It says in the Bible that if we are holding on too tightly 
to relationships that are hindering us from walking in complete agreement with Jesus Christ, we have to lay that down. And it's worth it. I tell you it's worth it. And we're going to go into this a little bit deeper. We're not laying it down to an unknowable, unforeseen being in the heavens that's far and distant and stoic. We're laying it down to Jesus Christ, and he's a man. He is a real man with real scars in his hands and his feet and his side that scream of the beauty of his majesty and his love. So we're committing our strength to this man, and it's worth it, I tell you. It is worth it. In that day, the most we will remember is his love for us. Amen. So if we have not done this, if we have merely read the teachings of Jesus without doing these principles that Jesus defines, loving him with our whole hearts, mind, soul, and strength, if we have merely read the teachings, but our lives are in disagreement with the teachings, then we must, re- then we must begin to have more faith in Jesus Christ in these concepts. And Jesus warns us of a lifestyle of hearing without doing. He says in Matthew seven twenty six that the one who hears the words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and, and it fell and great was the fall of it. I just want to break the lie that Jesus gives us burdensome commandments. It says in 1 John 4 that the commandments of Jesus are not burdensome. And it says in Matthew 11 that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus gives us these commandments because he's a good shepherd. He knows what's best for our hearts. He knows deeply how he made you. He knows everything about you. His thoughts about you are more numerous than the sands of the earth. And he counted the hairs on your head. So he gives you these commandments because he says... I know what's best for you if you would just trust me. You would walk in freedom. You would sleep in peace at night. You could put your head on the pillow and say, thank you, Jesus, for the peace that passes understanding because my life is in agreement with the plans that you created it for. So again, we've been fearfully and wonderfully made, and each and every one of us has a literal destiny that the Lord created us for. It's literal. It's real it's, yeah, enough said, it's real. In order for this destiny to be fulfilled, however, we must cultivate a living and active relationship with the creator, with the one who bestowed us with that destiny, with the uncreated God of Genesis 1. And many of us, were, we desire to have an on-fire life for Jesus Christ. If you didn't have that desire, you wouldn't be here tonight. The only way you are here tonight is because you desire to seek God in the right way and live on fire for him. But if we, in order for us to do that, we must redirect our thinking and get deeply familiar with the man that we desire to know. We have to get familiar with his scriptures. We have to get familiar with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who's an all-consuming fire. Amen? Amen. The Bible says he's an all-consuming fire. But the only place, safe place in this life is in the center of the flame of that fire. So if we, want to, if, if we are to live wholeheartedly, we must begin to seriously and wholeheartedly walk in covenant with the God-man, Jesus. And the most practical way to do this is simply seek the knowledge of God. If you're going to walk away with one thing tonight, if the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate one thing in your heart, get to know Jesus Christ. That is the most precious message I could ever preach to you tonight. Get to know the man, Christ Jesus. He's beautiful. His glory, is his face outshines the brightest sun. It says that in Revelation. It says in the end of Revelation that in the new earth and the new heaven and new Jerusalem, when Matthew 5 prayer 
or Matthew 6 prayer says, your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven becomes a reality, there will be no need for a sun or a moon. The face of Jesus will be the light of that city. That is literal. The literal face of Jesus Christ will be enough light for that city to burn forever. Will burn forever. It says in Isaiah 30 that Jesus' face is hotter than seven suns. And his face will light the temple in the city of the New Jerusalem forever. But if we are unfamiliar with these truths and the winds and the waves and the storms of this life boil around us, we will fall on that day because we built our house on sand. We have to build our house on the rock and the rock is Jesus Christ. So just a few scriptures talking about the knowledge of God. It says in Ephesians 1.17, I prayed this prayer to start the night, that the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling, which he has called you, and what are the riches of his and glory and inheritance in the saints. John 17.3, it says, and this is eternal life. Again, John talking about eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The quality of eternal life is the knowledge of God. It says Philippians 3.18, we, pray this, we preach this all the time from the Communitas pulpit. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. God, that we would gain you that we would gain Jesus Christ. And so our lack and our laziness towards knowledge of God is our greatest crisis in the body of Christ right now. Our deep disconnect with who Jesus is is real, and it's the greatest problem that we face as the church of, as the church of Jesus Christ. And so I ask how many in the body of Christ, and this is just rhetoric, you don't have to answer this, how many in the body of Christ, if asked, would be able to provide a biblical response to the question, what does it mean to be a priest of God? Like, biblically, what does that mean? In the Old Testament, when Aaron was raised up as a priest of Israel, the responsibilities that he had, if we were asked, what does that mean, as we're called the priests of Christ in this day, I would be curious to know how many people would be able to give a biblical response to that. And I don't say that to condemn anybody in here tonight. I have a log in my eye, so please don't feel that I'm pointing out the speck in your eye. I simply say and I bring these truths to light to realize of our great need for the knowledge of Jesus. So again, the scriptures are filled with the reality that we are priests. It says in this in, in 1 Peter, it says it in, in Revelation. It says in Peter, you're, we, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his possession. But if we were to seriously go to the scriptures with this truth, would we understand even where to look for these truths is my question to us tonight. And all this is, again, it's just a menu. It's just, we're just raising and we're just asking the Holy Spirit to cultivate a deep desire for the realities and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Come Holy Spirit. It says in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. It says in Romans one twenty eight, and since they did not fit see fit to acknowledge God, it also says that it also in some translation that's translated did not see fit to seek the knowledge of God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
So you see, by gaining the knowledge of God, he cleanses us of our debased mind. He cleanses us of our pervasive and perverse thoughts that hinder us from walking in unity, that hinder us from walking in the brotherly love that Jesus Christ says. Going back to the commandments, it says the second commandment is likened unto the first, that you would love your brother just as you love yourself. There is a deep disconnect in the body of Christ right now because we have a debased mind and we struggle to love one another. We struggle to cheer on the brothers and sisters who go before us or pass us in the kingdom or you know, have gifts that I don't have. There are gifts that you guys have that I w- was not entrusted with. Jesus says, I trust you with this gift, but I trust you with this gift. I trust you with this gift. And if I'm competing with any of you because I want your gift so I'm more noticed, that's messed up. That is not the way the Lord intended it. He wanted us to work together in love. And so as we commit to the knowledge of God, we realize that he, over, he transcends our debased mind that creates divisions, that creates hindrances for the Holy Spirit to move. So amen. So one of the primary reasons so many in the body of Christ are not walking in a clear understanding of what Paul is praying to the Ephesians of the hope to which he has called you is because we are fatally disconnected with the knowledge of God and our lives are ultimately not in agreement with the first commandment. And so the hope of our calling to is not to simply be understood as ministry. Ministry is just a very small, small scope of the hope of our calling. It says in the Bible that you know, the hope to which he has called you, the fullness of Christ, to be heirs to the throne of Jesus, to sit at his right hand. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. These are real truths that the Lord died for. Jesus Christ died for these truths, and he wants us to walk in them. But we must make a vast and unabandoned commitment to the first commandment if we are to walk into the fullness of Jesus Christ's death on the cross for us. So our ministry, again, is just a small scope of the hope that, that um, the apostle called for. And again, if many in the body of Christ today struggle to identify with John's declaration that we talked about earlier, that I am the disciple whom Jesus loved, on our beds at night, if we ask ourselves that question, Jesus wants us to be able to say, yes, you love me, Jesus. Oh, you love me. You're ravished by my heart. One look in my eye and your heart is captured by me. That's something that's real for every one of us in here tonight. And so as we get familiar and we gaze on the beauty of Jesus and we focus on his burning eyes and his jealous love for us, that becomes real in our hearts. And that sets us free from the bondages that otherwise leave us paralyzed. So again, um, it says in the Bible that and to know the love of Christ, again, knowing Christ and his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. So, just to kind of finish up here and then we'll move into ministry. It's important that um, we say no to sin and say yes to love. It's that simple. A lot of times we overcomplicate it. And yes, um, when you get down to the rawness of Jesus' blood washing you, cleanse, cleansing you and washing you, it does seem confusing. But ultimately, it's a commitment. Again, going back to faith, faith is commitment to a man in saying no to sin and saying yes to Jesus Christ. And so realizing that Jesus Christ is love and that love bears all things, love never fails, love never gives up on us, gives us grace to say yes to this, gives us grace to say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust what you did on the cross that day. 
and I trust my heart to you, and I ask you to set me free. And so our response and commitment to his love, again, is the most important things about us. And when we take the judgment seat on that day, one thing we will not say to Jesus is your love was not enough for my sin. Your love was not good enough for me, Jesus. I'm sorry. I, I couldn't walk in freedom because your death didn't take care of me. If we're not walking in freedom, it's not because Jesus Christ blood isn't, isn't qualified to set us free. Now, I'm not saying, like, I'm not implying that if you're not walking in freedom that it's your fault. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I am saying, though, that Jesus Christ's blood is enough to set us free. And it's just, all we need to do is say yes to love. Just say yes and believe, like John says, to believe. And so, in order to, uh, yeah, just become more acquainted again with the reality of Jesus' blood, it just requires cultivating that relationship, that on-fire relationship with Jesus. And Paul says in the Corinthians that love bears all things. Love believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things, and love never ends. In the NIV, that says love never fails. So Jesus will never give up on you. So I just want to encourage you to keep fighting. Fight the good fight, the fight of faith. Get in your Bible. Fill your face with the word of God, and I promise you it will not let you down. The only thing that sustains me every single day is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, getting into his word, reading his Bible, praying, committing myself to his truths. That is it. That's the only reason that any of us can walk in freedom. So amen. Again, it takes, lo- it takes God to love God. We love because he first loved us. However, in light of that, we must commit our spirit into his hands and begin to gaze on the beauty of God and the man love that surpasses knowledge. And so loving God, um, we can just break down the lie that it's about emotionalism, that it's, you know, you have to manifest in this certain way or you have to tremble and shake violently in order to, you know, prove that you love Jesus fully. It's not about emotionalism. Love is a commitment. Love is best examined, as Jesus says, what greater love than this than a man lay his life down for his friends. So as Jesus did that for us, we simply do that for him. We say, Jesus, no matter what the cost. I'm not counting the cost. I'm going to the depths. It says in the book of Matthew that when the merchant found a pearl of great value, he sold all of his possessions and sought out that great treasure. Jesus Christ is the great treasure of our souls. It says that in the, in the book of Haggai, that Jesus Christ is the treasure of the nations. And all we simply do is sell everything and put all of our eggs in one basket. That's, that's loving Jesus. And so loving God is wholeheartedly a deep personal commitment within us that says yes to Jesus no matter what. Jesus' love is better than wine. It's finer than all of the earthly pleasures of this life. And Jesus' love surpasses knowledge. We already talked about that. So, let's see here. Anyways, I'll t- I want to tell about a dream that I had that will kind of propel us into ministry. Um, just a little... You know, insight is what also kind of motivated me just to preach on this today. and Ultimately, it was just the Holy Spirit. But I, from last week, Tuesday through Friday, I went to the John Melinde conferences. Some of you may have gone in there, heard a little bit about what was going on. Um, anyways, John Melinde was just talking about committing to Jesus wholeheartedly. And so through these four nights, Tuesday through Friday, I just really you know, ask the Lord to recommit my life to the first commandment. And I just asked him to confirm in my life just the truths and the realities that we're talking about tonight. So Friday night, 
Um, the Lord gave me a dream. And in the dream, as I was seeking and praying for the Lord to just manifest a commitment in my life to, to him fully, I found myself in my car with Adriana, and we were flying backwards. Our car was flowing as fast as it possibly could backwards. And my foot was on the brake, and I was in a deep sense of panic. And there was three main emotions going through my heart. I was fear that I was going to crash and kill us both, astonished that I hadn't crashed. And then three, I was utterly focused as hard as I could, exhausting every ounce of energy I could into steering the car. The only thing I could do was steer the car and, um, you know, stay focused on, on that reality. So all around us, the outside the car, too, there was just utter chaos. Cars crashing, just people going crazy, unable to understand what was going on. We're going backwards, and that's the important thing. The car is going backwards, and I had no ability to stop it. My foot was, you know, on the brakes as hard as it possibly could. And um, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we reached a point in the road where if we went any further, the car was going to crash. The road kind of crescendoed to a peak, and there was really nowhere else to go. It was just basically a, a dead end, and not just a, yeah, whatever. So anyways, the car stopped. And all of a sudden, this deep sense of peace just, <sighs> praise God, I didn't just die, <laughs> just overwhelmed me. And I got out of the car, got out of that car as fast as I could, and just praised the Lord. But then as I got out of the car, I was met with this strong man. Um, my only understanding was that he was a man of the Lord. Whether he was an angel, a prophet, the Lord really didn't explain it to me. But I could just sense he had truth, and I didn't say anything to him. I just looked at him. And he said, you can't go any further. And I was like, I've been trying to stop for three miles. And that's what I told him. And he said, you can't go any further. And that was it. And then I got back in the car and we sped on forward under the same like principles with my foot on the gas. Couldn't you know, stop the car, but I could maneuver it. However, this time we were moving forward. And then I shook myself awake because I was just terrified. And as soon as I woke up, the Lord told me, the car is the church, of, the car is the church right now. And that's what the Lord told me, and that was it. And the dream was over. So, my beloved, our church is deeply sick right now. It's deeply sick. And I'm not saying this to condemn anyone. I'm not saying this to, you know, make you feel any sense of shame. I'm simply sounding a wake-up call here tonight that we cannot go any further. We cannot continue in the ways of this life, in our own ways, because what happens is when glory comes, because it's coming, we're all believing for revival. It's been the word of 2011 from the body of Christ right now. Revival is coming. So it's not if revival comes, and it's not that revival is coming. It's when it comes, if our lives are not in agreement with Jesus Christ, it's doom. It's as great and terrible as the day of the Lord. Who can endure it? Who can stand in that day? And so our lives have to be in agreement with this man. Otherwise, we just burn in the sight of his burning eyes. So again, I don't say that. I say that with much trembling, and I say that with just a great sense of sobriety in my spirit here tonight, that we've, we deeply must recommit our lives to this first commandment. And just a brief scripture in Matthew 5, and then again, we're just going to go into ministry. Um, Jesus gives us the constitution of heaven in Matthew 5 through 7. Revival is broken out in Matthew 4. The city is upside down because Jesus Christ is here preparing the word of the Lord. 
People are getting healed. Demons are getting cast out. John the Baptist is beheaded. And there's chaos in the land of Judea. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ says, follow me. Come, grab your children. Grab everybody and sit on this mountain and listen to my words. And he lays out the constitution of heaven. And he says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who have a broken spirit. Yada, 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 etc. And then he goes on and he talks about the dangers of the very things that just corrupt and he and just destroy the body of Christ right now. He gives very, very clear exhortations on lust, divorce, anger. He says, if you, hate, if you have anger with your brother, you will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. My beloved, if we are struggling with these simple biblical truths, it's dangerous for us to enter into the presence of a holy God. So we must begin to grapple and reconcile with our brokenness. And I'm not saying that to give like a false humility and just this fire and brimstone message. I'm simply saying that we're sick right now and Jesus' blood is worth it all. It's worth it all and we can say yes to it and he can set us free. But we have to have faith in this man. We have to have faith in unabandoned trust in who he is and what he did for us. So in these same chapters, Matthew 5 and 7, Jesus counsels us on the realities of giving, praying, fasting, and loving your enemies. And Jesus explains when you give, when you pray, when you fast. He doesn't make it an option. He doesn't say if you pray, give, and fast. He says when you do this. Jesus was speaking these messages to the Pharisees, telling them about a heart condition. The Pharisees were standing up with their puffed up chest, their spiritual pride in the synagogues of Jerusalem, bringing attention to their holiness. And Jesus says, you brood vipers. Your heart is fully committed to who you are and not even committed to who I am and what I'm here to do for you. So Jesus was warning them against a heart condition. However, we're, we've so fallen from the truths of Jesus Christ that for us the message right now is if you pray, if you give, and if you fast, and that's dangerous, and it makes my heart grieved that these, these things are real, but, it, but it's true. So we need, to, we need to really grapple with who Jesus is in these truths and these, burden, these commandments that he gives us because they're not burdensome. He gives us these truths because he knows if we do them, if we pray, if we fast, we'll be in a deeper communion with him. Our lives will be peaceful. Our lives will be worthy on that day our lives will count they'll have great meaning because we sowed into a man we sowed into a man and we said yes to him so the very fact that many in the body of christ are not even walking in these basic biblical truths is telling and prophetic of how spiritually dead the body of christ is right now and it says in the revelation jesus warns the churches you have a reputation that you're alive but you're dead on the inside and I don't know your hearts. I don't have grace to your hearts tonight. All I have is the word of the Lord. But I tell you, he desires that our hearts are on fire and alive for him on the inside. On the inside of our beings, we're alive. And nothing shakes us. So we must begin to reconcile with this reality of our need for Jesus. To deeply heal our brokenness. And deeply cry out to him that he would just wake us up. That's the word of the Lord right now. Wake up. We just need to wake up to our spiritual depravity and as well to the beauty of Jesus Christ. 
And so from here, we're just going to move into some ministry. Let's just pray and ask the Lord to do this. Again, we're just making commitments to the Lord tonight. I don't, it's not, again, it's not about emotionalism. This is a hard word to bring. So, you know, I don't want to be the victim up here and whatever, but know that I love you deeply. My heart is for us is that we would walk in the fullness of Jesus Christ, as it says in Ephesians 3. And it's true. And Jesus wants to restore the joy of salvation. But it's hard for Jesus to come in our midst because if he shows up in our, per, in our what, if he shows up in our state of being that we're in right now, it's not going to be pretty. And in his mercy, he's withholding his presence from us that he revealed to Moses in Exodus 34 when he revealed the glory of Lord, glory of himself to Moses in Exodus 34. Right now, Jesus is withholding that from us because he's merciful, because he desires that we get this first. And then when he comes, he can come with joy. And he doesn't have to come with a grieved and broken spirit. So I'm just going to put on some music from an iPod and just talk to the Lord tonight. Talk with the Lord. Ask him to give you grace for this because he wants to. He longs to. He longs to set us, set our hearts free. That's the ministry he has. But we have to make a commitment internally to this man and trust that our commitment is worth it. So we'll just put on some music, kind of dim the lights. The prayer team is up here if you have prayer for specific needs tonight. But just let the Lord touch your heart. Let him heal you. If you have wounds, if you have brokenness, and this is the last word I'll say. This is just deep on my heart. One of the biggest things that's stripping the body of Christ right now is what we set our eyes to. What we set our eyes to, the media, this Twitter crap. Apologies for my righteous anger, but this gossip on Twitter, this Facebook spiritual battles, it's a joke. It's a joke and it's creating divisions. It says, blessed are those who are meek for they shall inherit the kingdom of the earth. And I have such a righteous anger because I see the enemy just infiltrating these media concepts into our body of Christ, and it's killing us. So these things, watching these programs like The Lost, you're not lost, you're found. Jesus Christ found you. He loves you. You don't need to set your heart on these things to find happiness and joy. This book is full of life. And it's designed to set our hearts free. And it's full of truths that are more worthy than the television programs by Hollywood. So I want to I challenge you tonight. Go home and clean out your DVD collection. Go home and clean out your CD collections. And say, Jesus Christ, you're more worth it than these DVDs and these CDs. And if you need Christian music, there's hundreds of us who know good Christian music. We're happy to buy it for you. We're happy to buy it for you. I'm serious. It'll set your hearts free. So get your eyes right. It says in the book of Matthew, if your eyes are good, your whole body's good. Men, we need to be at, men, we need to get rid of pornography. We need to strip our reality. We need to strip our minds from pornography. Get rid of this Jezebel spirit and get right with Jesus Christ. We have to do this. We, we, can't, we, we cannot go any further in the current state of affairs. We cannot come to church on Tuesday feast at the table of the Lord, and then go home and look at pornography on Saturday and Sunday and ask the Lord to bless our lives. We have to ask, in that situation, we have to ask the Lord to set our hearts free. If we're asking the Lord to bless our circumstances when we're in deep, deep compromise, it's not going to happen. So that's where we'll end. We're going to put in some music. Again, you know, just let's just talk to the Lord and just ask him to set our hearts free. Amen. 
And when Paul is talking about how we need to wake up and and wake up to our spiritual depravity, the temptation can come where that 